0: Hello, everyone,
1: and welcome back to another episode of the Congressional Western Caucus Podcast, a voice for rural America. I'm Chairman Dan Newhouse. I want to thank you for listening. I'm especially looking forward to today's program because We are highlighting the importance of locally led and voluntary conservation. Be sure to stay tuned because later in the episode, we're going to hear from Western Caucus member Rick Crawford, who will discuss these efforts in his home state of Arkansas. I'm honored to be joined by an expert and really someone I would just call an incredible advocate for conservation, Mr. Michael Crowder. Michael is not only the president of the National Association of Conservation Districts, but he is also actually a constituent of mine in central Washington state. And for years, he has focused on wetland restoration, wildlife science, and ecology. He also continues to help manage his family's third-generation ranch. Michael holds degrees in natural resources and environmental science, as well as a graduate degree in wildlife science from Purdue University. He's received several awards for his work and dedication to natural resource conservation and I'm just delighted to have him on the program today. Michael, thank you again for joining us. Could could you give us more background about NACD and and your involvement with the organization?
0: I would. Thank you for having me today Congressman Newhouse. It, it really is an honor. I've I've known you for 15 plus years, and we worked together through lots of issues in Washington State in Washington, D.C., so it's, it's really an honor to be, uh, to be a guest here today. You know, my background is I grew up in, in southern Indiana, uh, still a member of my third generation family farm there, uh, went on to school for environmental science natural resources and got a master's of wildlife from purdue and i was always that kid that was outside hunting and fishing and caving and through a few hundred thousand bales of hay in the summer so I, I i knew i wanted to be outside i knew i wanted to do some with farming if i could but we had 163 acres and you don't make a li- multiple livings on 163 acres so i had to go to school and ended up loving school Ended up being a uh, adjunct professor later on in life for eight years at Washington State University, go Cougs, mm-hmm. and um, just loved it. Uh, as, as you said, I the background of NACD is it, it's the National Association of Conservation Districts. And we have, it's better known as NACD, and we have 3,000 conservation districts and 17,000 men and women who serve on their local governing boards and they're, they're local units of govern, government, and each state has a, a, a law that dictates what, what they can and can't do. Uh, we have uh, 50 states and eight U.S. territories, and we go from Puerto Rico to Guam and Alaska to Maine, and it, it's uh, quite an honor to work with, with these folks at NACD. Awesome.
1: Well, thank, thanks a lot again for being here. It's, as I understand it, that this is NACD's 75th anniversary, 75th birthday. Uh, just a uh, couple of weeks ago, I was very proud to lead, along with many of my constituent, excuse me, colleagues in the Western Caucus, um, in, in introducing a bipartisan as well as a bicameral resolution, so the House and the Senate to celebrate NACD's accomplishments. So you know, if you could, as humbly as possible, uh, talk a little bit why this is such a huge milestone for the organization. How has NACD grown? How has it changed? How has it really responded to the needs that we have over the last 75 years?
0: Yeah, and again, let me thank you for uh, putting that resolution forward. We we very much appreciate it. and. You know, it got started from the great Dust Bowl and everybody's familiar seeing the pictures of these big clouds of dust coming all the way to DC and the land was being treated poorly, unsustainable farming practices, things had to change. And at Hugh Hammond Bennett and others, it's not a common name, but in our world, it's a great name. Uh, They fought to uh, get, get the soil conservation service Um, which is now the Natural Resource Conservation Service and districts in in each state. And what's neat about this is that we are continually evolving, finding better ways to be good stewards of the land. And is that conservation tillage or no-till, better irrigation practices, cover crops, and so much more. But what's neat is 75 years of, of conservation work and NACD provides that one voice for conservation. Being in in the southwest or northeast, we we have representatives from all that. We advocate for funding policy. Uh, we work on Capitol Hill and all through the nation. We have communication through publications and social media, and and one thing that I'm really part of my soul and love doing is developing our future conservation leaders and and taking those those producers that. That are doing the right thing to teach their neighbors how to do it. Dan, being a farmer yourself, you know that if I'm a government agency and I come and say, you need to do this, that doesn't take the weight of looking across the fence and seeing your neighbor doing something that's good for the environment and still making them money. And don't ever discount of what your neighbors are looking at, and, and if you're doing something that makes more money and and makes a better um, result from the environment, that's a great thing. Yeah. Well, Josh, yes, thanks. Thank
1: you. I'll, I can easily, confidently speak for many of my colleagues in Congress when I say thank you to the NACD for all the great work that you currently do, that you have done, and that you're looking forward to. You know, you brought up the dust clouds reaching Washington, D.C. None of us were around back at that time, at least you and I sure sure weren't, but this summer, some of the smoke clouds came all the way from the West to Washington, D.C. You know, again, accomplishing the same thing, showing people in the East how how dire situations are in the West. You know probably even better than I that if we don't manage our lands, we, we really are not able to protect them. So without the efforts of local conservationists, we can end up with situations that we're seeing now throughout the West with these devastating wildfires destroying our forests and, and our historic drought conditions that are decimating our land for crops and our livestock and even our for our native species. One of our priorities at the caucus, at the Congressional Western Caucus, is ensuring that organizations like yours, like the NACD, can continue to promote and incentivize those voluntary conservation efforts and the public private partnerships in rural communities. Could you maybe elaborate just a little bit and provide an example or so as to how NACD utilizes a private, federal and state partnership to achieve some of these conservation goals that we're also proud of? Sure.
0: One thing I would say is that our, our biggest partner is the Natural Resource Conservation Service. We we've, we've worked with them for, for 75 years now. They they've changed their name, but we've worked with that organization for 75 years. They're they're the government side of the funding. we we help with the technical assistance and the financial assistance to the producers on the ground. And you know, we have far too many partners to to name them all, but at a national level, our core partners are our District Employees Association, the State Conservation Agencies, the National Conservation Planning Partnership, and on and on and on. I, I've personally worked with a, a lot of tribal organizations, Indian Nations Conservation Alliance, and and all kinds of of, of national level um, organizations. But at the local level, you're as you mentioned. You're my Congressman and you've seen a lot of the work that the Benton Conservation District does and in, in your South Yakima Conservation District. But just in my little area, we have salmon in the classroom. We teach thousands of kids about water quality and what it takes to grow salmon, what it means to be an irrigator. Um, you and I have been to River Fest about the importance of barging up and down the Columbia River we have a heritage garden program so that's that's not the farmers that's the people inside of town that are are doing uh, water smart uh, irrigation um there's it, just on and on and on the amount of projects that we can do but partnerships are the key to what we we have to do because we can't do it alone not the nrcs not the nacd um you know we we work with groups uh, hook and bullet groups like Ducks Unlimited and National Wild Turkey Federation. Um, it's you, My stance is, is I work with the groups that we have core values together. We don't have to agree all the time. And matter of fact, most groups don't agree all the time. But if we agree 80% of the time, um, let's work on that 80% and we'll agree to disagree and maybe work in the future of the other 20%.
1: Awesome, that's really helpful. You, you know it's it's encouraging to hear you talk about how these local conservationists are are managing and protecting our natural resources. You know there you've heard them. There are some who claim that conservation is only effective if if it's overseen by the federal government or if our lands um, and waters are preserved through wilderness or national monument designations. I think we both know that that's not true at all. Rural communities in particular are no stranger to the impacts of federal mismanagement or inaction and bureaucracy. We see that in our federal forest all the time. However, we continue to see great success in these local conservation efforts. And we realize that taking advantage of those partnerships, that the ones that you've talked about, that leads to better management of our lands, healthier ecosystems, Stronger species recovery and and so much more. So you've been talking about this, Michael. But could you? I'll give you a chance to just expand on a, a little more. Why locally led conservation efforts are so important, are so effective, and how those local efforts should be celebrated.
0: Well, I would I would compare it to like national politics. It's it's always comes down to local, and the local conservation expands to national but it always comes down to this field this county this area and you know i'll give you an example of just my ranch we did a project called firewise which i know you're familiar with from your your time here in washington but i worked with my local conservation district and my local fire district because we are in a very fire prone area i looked out my window now um, there's not smoke now, but you're just up the valley from me. You've seen where there's days and weeks at a time where it's just choking smoke. The, the kids can't go outside to play, and you're, you're supposed to stay in, indoors. You know, I was wearing masks last year, not for COVID, when I was outside by myself because we were getting choked in with smoke. So all of those projects come down to a local level, to a local national forest, to somebody's private forest. And so when I did the Firewise, we went through and checked off a whole bunch of boxes. You, you need to do this, this, and this. And we pushed back up a, a, a green belt around, around my my house here, around the shop. We cut down dead trees. and. We just made a fire plan. So just having that plan working with the district and you can expand that out to the whole state and to the nation. I can tell you, I've worked with the Forest Service quite a bit through NACD's uh, forestry resource policy group. There's there's nobody there that would disagree with you that we can't do do more, but we have to have the help from Congress. We have to help the help from, from the funding to make sure that these mega fires we can keep that from happening you know this is this is a new norm there's there's you i've heard you say it yourself there's there's not a fire season anymore there's just fire it's it's crazy how bad things have gotten and and we can do better through forest management and other practices so it everything comes down to local but it has an impact nationally so mike
1: crowder president of the national association of conservation districts looking ahead the next 75 years I'm not saying your administration will last that long <laughs> tell me a little bit um what are the goals the nacd hopes to achieve in the future and and, and what tenets of the organization do you foresee transcending future generations of conservations so, you know and i'm also aware that you helped lead a special tribute this summer reflecting on past leadership of the organization. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that as well, looking at both the past and the future of conservation
0: advocacy and leadership. And, And I would say if you went back 75 years to the practices that were going on at the time, they were not sustainable and we had massive amounts of erosion. And then you come to now, I would predict in 75 years, they're going to look back at what we're doing now and just shake their heads like we're doing from 75 years ago they were doing normal agricultural practices normal irrigation practices that aren't sustainable well we will do a good job of adapting to the environment adapting to whatever cause is is there i i would say you don't know what what is ahead it is important that we have a good strategic plan that everyone must have the ability to adapt to, ch- to changes and changes in the environment, political changes, changes in public perception of farming or irrigating. All of those have impacts of what is needed from districts and what is expected from all of us as stewards of the land. And, and as far as the 75 year anniversary this summer in Chicago, it, it was an absolute honor to be standing there with 12 NACD presidents. So little over 30 years of, of presidential experience there. And, and we had all but just a couple of the, the living presidents. And it was great to honor those folks. And, and they're all just like me, that we're helping guide the ship, but we're we're not the people on the ground. There's There's thousands and thousands of employees and district supervisors and producers, millions of producers that are using these Funds, these uh, planning processes, technical assistance, and financial assistance to put good work on the ground to help to adapt. Everybody wants clean air, clean water, uh, better conditions. So it's, we will continue to adapt over the next 75 years and beyond. Absolutely. You know, and even in my short lifetime, I've been
1: a farmer my whole life, and we do things way differently than we did when I was a kid. And you're right probably another lifetime from now people will look back and uh, and be just just marvel at how many advances they've been able to make so very exciting stuff to be engaged in Um, so michael thank you so much for spending some time any any closing thoughts you might like to share with our listeners
0: well i i would like to reiterate what i just said how how much of an honor it is to represent these folks uh, to DC, on all around the nation, I've had the privilege of traveling to almost every state and seeing producers, um, district employees. When you visit them, they they want to show you what they're doing on the ground. They want to talk about that, and it it's just amazing to hear them and how happy they they are to do that. Uh, I would like to take a minute to recognize the producers and families that are affected by the wildfires and, and drought and throughout, not just our district, but throughout the West and throughout the nation that, I mean, it's having catastrophic effects on on uh, producers. Uh, you and I both know um, there are cattlemen that have, have to sell their herd because they simply don't have the hay to pay for them over the summer, and, and it, it, that's tough. That affects families and affects livelihoods, um, and I just want to thank you for the work you've done for farmers and ranchers and other landowners from your not just your time in Congress, but in Washington State House and serving as director of Washington State Department of Agriculture. You've been an ally of mine, you've been an ally of districts and an ally of farmers and ranchers and producers and forestry. Uh, I thank you for what you do and what you will continue to do, and I will help you as as much as I can to make sure that uh, conservation gets put on the ground. Well, that's great, Michael. Appreciate you joining me today
1: and uh, and really helping to spread the word about locally led conservation districts around the country and and the important work they're doing around responsible management and conservation of of natural resources, important stuff. It's been a delight to have you. Thank you very much and keep up the good work and the best of luck for another 75 years of of responsible conservation management. Thank you, Dan. Now I'd like to shift gears and introduce our second guest for today's episode, a member of the Congressional Western Caucus from the first district of the great state of Arkansas, Representative Rick Crawford. Rick, thank you so much for being on with us. You bet, thanks for having me, appreciate it. Great, delighted to have you. Rick, as a member of the Western Caucus and a member of the House Agricultural Committee, you're in a great position to talk about the importance of conservation and the work our agriculture producers, our local conservation districts, and our partners on the ground, the work that they do every day. Earlier this month, we introduced a resolution to recognize and to celebrate the 75th anniversary of the National Association of Conservation Districts. As you well know, the NACD works in all 50 states to promote locally led and voluntary conservation efforts something that's got to be of interest to the Ag Committee, I would think. Can you talk just a little bit about the work that Ag Committee is doing in in regards to the subject of
2: conservation? Yeah, you know, the Farm Bill has really been the best catalyst for conservation in the Ag Committee because it strengthens investment in locally-led, incentive-based conservation on working land. So the Farm Bill also helps fund land-grant universities, and I mention that because they're often the ones that are involved in, uh, in the research, on obviously on farming, but certainly on conservation as it applies to agriculture. In my state, the University of Arkansas is the land grant university, and they're very involved in farm research and helping farmers test out new conservation techniques. But most recently, what we're hearing about are proposals that are centered around carbon markets. And I think there's a lot of education that we still need to get a better understanding of just what that looks like in terms of practice and incentivizing Uh, sustainable practices in agriculture
1: as you know rick i'm a farmer from the central part of washington state and our our landscapes uh, in washington and and arkansas they they differ quite a bit but i think something that brings us together especially in our relationship in the western caucus is our recognition that if we are truly going to restore and protect our lands we have to actively manage them In the West, when we talk about active management, we often refer to our federal forests and necessary wildfire prevention efforts. So for our listeners who may not be familiar specifically with Arkansas, could you share a little bit about the conservation needs of some of the communities you represent?
2: Sure, well, as you mentioned, my district is very heavy ag, which means um, most of our conservation efforts center around agriculture. Arkansas produces, in fact, my district produces about half of the U.S. rice crop. And so, you know, all of our rice farmers engage in some kind of conservation practices. Most of our farmers, however, they don't like being forced into programs and are typically sort of skeptical of mandatory federal programs that aren't voluntary. But what I've observed is that, you know, farmers are just very innovative and and they realize the need Uh, to adapt new practices. And we really need to give them the the flexibility and the space to continue to be those entrepreneurs in conservation and really take the lead themselves. I often use this phrase that uh, we hear the term environmental activists. Well, I say farmers are active environmentalists because they are actively engaged in environmental practices that are sustainable because they're the original stewards of the land and they rely on that stewardship for their livelihood. So when it comes to the needs and improvements in conservation programs, I really think we should continue supporting USDA's work at the local level. And we should also look at how to facilitate producer to producer education, because that's also key. Every community has their bell cow farmers, what I call bell cow, they lead the way. And and the neighbors around there sort of look to them for that kind of guidance.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I like that, I like that. So I believe in Arkansas, there's several public private conservation partnerships. When it comes to the conservation of our lands and our forests our shorelines and all of our natural resources it becomes glaringly obvious that top down federal mandates do not work. We should be promoting collaboration and partnership, not over regulation, I think we can probably both agree uh, that these are exactly the type of efforts that we should be supporting, could you talk uh, more about those and. The and the work being done on the local level to advance conservation efforts
2: well you know um we've had some great success in land conservation through public private partnerships in arkansas and i'll give you an example in my district uh you know as i mentioned before we are we, we farm an awful lot of rice but once harvest is over farmers will flood their fields and they turn those fields those flooded fields into temporary habitat for ducks that migrate south uh, as the as winter approaches. And so those ducks leave, love to eat that leftover grain. It's a great habitat for them. Uh, the grain that's left behind, you know, at harvest. And so farmers, you know, they enjoy the duck hunting and, and being outside. And It's a great economic stimulator, by the way. You know, Arkansas is known for its world-class duck hunting. So USA Rice and Ducks Unlimited created a rice stewardship program as a result of this relationship that we have between uh flooded rice fields and ducks and the program really helps rice farmers manage irrigation water uh, crop nutrients and wetland wildlife habitats it's also a great weed control method you know over the course of that that winter that that the water is on the fields university of arkansas has has been integral in that and um, they've been very proactive they have a program called most crop per drop contest which basically rewards farmers who are able to conserve water and produce large and healthy crops with minimal water And there's been great success in that program, and and, and it really incentivizes developing new irrigation techniques that use less water. And then finally, the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission in Arkansas is is an example of a, a very effective state agency that not only educates the public on these environmental issues and safe hunting and fishing practices, but also effectively manages those lands. And so they're key in helping Arkansas remain natural state.
1: Uh, that just sounds great. Those are, I think, exactly the kinds of efforts that we should be supporting. And I gotta say that the, the duck hunting in Arkansas is known worldwide for being fantastic. So those it is. are <laughs> thank you so much, Rick, for sharing your insights. And I want to thank you for your service on the agriculture committee as well. You're such a stalwart advocate for our farmers and our land managers and conservationists, both not only in your state of Arkansas, but across the country. So so thank you so much for all of that. Before I let you go, do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners?
2: Well, I, yeah, I appreciate it. I wanna just once again, highlight that, how effective conservation happens at the state and local level. So, you know, we don't have to necessarily have the federal government involved in every single thing. You know, the state and local entities that, they, they live there, they know what the impacts are. Um, you know, our our lands and our waterways are are very well protected by state and local laws. And and the local ones are the ones who really ought to be implementing. You know, I know that we have federal programs, but we really need need to rely on our our people in the local areas to do the implementation of those conservation environmental programs. And I think it was Ronald Reagan who said the nine most terrifying words in the English language are I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Uh, (laughs) And we need to remember that as lawmakers. And and so um, that's particularly true when it comes to conservation. Well, Rick, my friend, thank you so much for joining me today
1: to help highlight the great work being done across the country on the management and conservation of our natural resources. And I want to thank our listeners, too, for tuning into another episode of the Congressional Western Caucus podcast, A Voice for Rural America. We appreciate you listening and look forward to talking with you next time.
2: Thank you. (laughs) All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Gotcha. Thank you all.